Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Today, uh, myself and Pastor JP later on, if you guys have time afterwards, catch him at the 1 o'clock or down at the city as well, we're going to be preaching on family, encompassing marriages, family, kids, moms, dads, all that stuff. Because we truly believe, I truly believe, that at the core and the foundation of the church and what we do is family. It's that bond and it's that strength that we have together that will go against the enemy when we face him. When we are in the middle of this battle, that we will be strengthened through one another, through our family around us. And if we allow the enemy to attack our family in whatever your definition of your family is, then we will lose. So I want us to be encouraged today. I pray that the word I bring speaks into us. It's spoken to me. And that we are ready to go out and make a fight. We're ready to go out and make a difference. That we look at our family and we say, I will do everything and I will give everything to keep my family safe. Because at the end of the day, we all want the same guy to lose. And that's our enemy, the devil. We want to see our God victorious. And then eventually want to be able to retire up into heaven and say we did a good job while we were down here. So let's get into that. Let's see what we got. In a minute, I'll start reading out of Genesis Chapter 3, if you want to start turning there, won't take you long. First book in the Bible, in case you didn't know. I'll just give you that little heads up. But I was thinking, when we're talking about family, and I think about being on the same page and what we got to do, we have to work cohesively as a family. And whether that's with your husband, wife, and let me get my preempt. Don't be throwing elbows today. Don't be wives throwing elbows. He's talking to you, honey. So let that slide. I don't want any bruised ribs. But working in family dynamics is difficult. Sometimes working by ourselves can seem easier, because unless I don't like myself, I can put up with me for a little bit. But if I have to deal with all my family around me, that makes it more difficult, because now we need to be in sync with one another. If we're not on the same page in the battle and in the fight, somebody's going to drop their mission and drop their job. Well, one of those things my wife and I always try and work on is, over the years I've learned, I can be a little intense when it comes to some things, and I've learned to live with that. I can also be a little ADHD as long as I'm paying attention. So to help me out, my wife came up with some certain things in social settings. Because you got to understand, almost 23 years as a cop and a fireman, my outlook on things and the stories I tell are usually a little different than the average person. I mean, I grew up in a household where my dad was the homicide commander for 13 years and my mom was a critical care nurse. So our dinner conversations freaked out most of my friends because we talked about homicide cases and stuff. I thought that was normal. I even had a book on the study of homicides by the time I was in middle school. I didn't understand that was weird. I thought it was normal. So my perspective on the way I would tell stories through my job, because people always ask, all right, what cool stories do you got? Okay. And I start sharing them. And over on the side in the corner of my eye, I see my wife going, babe, babe, stop. stop." And then I look around at the people's faces, and they got this horrific look, and they put their plates down half the time. And I'm like, I ruined their dinner, so I'm sorry. Or worse, the other thing is, being a little bit of an intense guy, not because I would get angry, but there's times that I would have, you know, those conversations that you're not supposed to have in public that my wife always reminds me of. I'm like the anti-gringo in case any of you haven't noticed. My, my mother-in-law says I was switched to birth. I'm really Cuban inside. I talk about anything in any social setting. I don't care. I thought it's normal. So, but same thing. She would say, no, no, babe, not everything needs to be discussed in public. And okay, let's come up with a game plan to make this work so I don't embarrass you. Because typically, it's not me getting embarrassed. It's her and the kids that I embarrass or those with me. So she would say, okay, let's see. Well, we just finished watching the movie Up. Let's go with Squirrel. Anytime I say Squirrel, that's your cue 
to stop what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, that'll work. I'll give it a shot. So needless to say, the first time we tried it, it worked out gloriously. So we're in, I forget, we're out to dinner at a party or something. And I start my usual talking about things maybe I shouldn't talk about in public. And she goes, squirrel. I literally looked at her. I'm sorry, what? Are you serious? I'm in the middle of telling a story. Go ahead, honey, go ahead. Just go ahead and finish. She let me go, and, and, and I said, okay. So that one didn't work. So we need to come up with something else. So especially at a dinner setting, she told me, okay, I'll kick you under the table. <laughs> All right, we've seen it in movies. That always works. So we're out, and the first time we tried it, once again, worked beautifully. She kicks me under the table. I thought she was playing footsie with me, so I let it slide. I didn't think anything of it. Then she kicks me a little harder in the middle of my story, and I literally turned to her like an idiot. Babe, seriously, do you need more room? You kicked me again. <laughs> so she looks at me, and she goes, I'm done. Go ahead. Just finish your story. So it's one of those things, and, and what's worse is later on, we, we get in the car, and I'm not going to lie, I was upset at her for, like, kicking me or saying whatever, and the first thing she say, did you not remember our conversation and our game plan? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. That was my cue to stop talking. Gotcha, it'll work next time. But I would actually get mad at her for the game plan we came up with. We had a plan in place, and yet I wasn't following it. She was spot on, the teacher and the good student that she is. She was spot on with it, and I missed the cue. I missed the mark. I wasn't playing in the same minefield as she was, and that caused sometimes a little arguments or disagreements between us. And that's the problem is I would sit there sometimes and look at her and say, geez, you're interrupting me. You're stopping. You're doing whatever. And we were not on the same page. Not her fault, mine. I'll take the, the hit for that one. But the thing is, when it comes to the fight with the enemy, especially in our families, we are dealing with multiple dynamics. We're dealing with several people. We need to be on the same page and fighting together because it's not standing back and watching one member out. This isn't WrestleMania where we tag each other in. This is a full-out battle where we all need to be on the same page and in the same battle together. We need to have a battle front, a battle plan, and a game plan ready to go. Well, the enemy, as awesome as he is sometimes, because he is cunning, he is smart, don't let him fool you. We're not ready to fight him. He's been going after marriages and families since the beginning of time. Since man and woman were walking on this earth, he has been attacking the family unit. Happened to be husband and wife at the time, before kids, that must be a Garden of Eden, I tell you that much, just the husband and the wife walking around, you know, I won't get into too much detail about that, but, you know, I don't wear fig leaves, by the way, I don't, you know, none of that stuff, but that must have been great, you know, just the two of them walking around the Garden of Eden, yet the enemy at that time was attacking it, and that's what we see in chapter 3 of Genesis. This is right after God had created Adam, Adam had named all the animals, and then God took the rib out of Adam and created woman, gave him woman. They're happy. They're glorious. They're running around the Garden of Eden, and everything is beautiful, which that quickly changed. Picking it up in chapter 3, verse 1 in Genesis, we read, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was for good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Thank goodness they didn't actually pick up poison ivy. That would have totally changed the story. So, sorry, tangent. Squirrel, thank you. Thank you. I've learned. I got it that time. See, honey? I am teachable. I am teachable. Anyways, picking up in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Side note, I like to sometimes think of things like this. Take that for a moment and really mull on that. Imagine what that must have been like, maybe a glimpse of what heaven will be one day. In a garden of pure beauty, hearing God walking in the midst, could you imagine what that must be like? I like to ponder on stuff like that and not just read through it, only because that gives me a slight glimpse of what it will be like. Imagine that. Hearing God walking through the garden. Don't imagine yourself naked and having to hide from him. Just imagine walking in the garden with him. How amazing that must have been. Just food for thought. Think about that next time you're reading. So, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. Oh yeah. Total hand up. Total hand up. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. And you shall eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Amen. Write that down, man. So that's where the elbows start flying. He didn't really mean that. Picking up in verse 17, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return." From the very beginning, the enemy has been going after families. Two people walking on the face of the earth, and already we messed it up. One rule. They didn't know the difference between good and evil. They literally, if you think about it, were probably wandering around the garden with childlike wonderment. They didn't even know what good and evil was. They did not know what sin was. Why? Because man had not stepped on earth quick enough to mess it up. But that didn't take much time. So here they are. Devil goes right after, through the serpent, the different beliefs and scholars. Some believe that was the devil. Some believe the devil was using him. Don't really know. It doesn't say specifically, and it doesn't matter. Because the end result is it caused the fall of man from the very beginning. From that point, the enemy was going after families. Why? Because families are strength. Unification is strength and a threat to the enemy. A bunch of individuals standing out in a field 
wandering around with absolutely no direction or anything to do isn't much of a threat. Take that same number of people, put them on the same page, like mind, like heart, like trained, like God, and we will be a force to be reckoned with, and the enemy will then fear what we can do for him. So what better than to take out the family core unit from the get-go? What better than to make the earth go wandering around, everybody fending for themselves from the get-go, taking away God's plan? That was his point. That was his goal right from the beginning. So I want to look at quick three points just to go over some stuff because I'm very big on when we read the Word, the Word speaks to us. The Word reads us more than we read it. It teaches us. And if we can take that and change the perspective of how we see people, it's going to make the fight much different in how we handle it. So the first point I want to look at is keep the fight on the enemy. Keep the fight on the enemy. Sounds real easy in theory. Sounds real easy. Why not? Of course I can keep the fight on the enemy. Let me ask you, when's the last time you yelled at a perfect stranger for doing something simple compared to when the last time you yelled at your wife, your kids, your husband, or your best friend, your mom, or your dad? I can bet you money, even as, you know, pastor, my wife and I probably yelled at each other more, which not that much, but more than I've yelled at some stranger out in the street. And she's my partner. She's my teammate. She's my wife. Or my kids. What happens when I'm having a bad day and I get home and I'm exhausted and my kids do something minor and we unleash on them all the frustrations and the anger we have? You have now then turned your, your, your family, your core, into your enemy. Oh, but I'm just yelling at them. Yeah, but what are you yelling at them about? Or am I getting on my kid's case because of direction, because of something they're doing wrong, and i got to be a dad now, and i got to take care of them? Or am I upset and I'm yelling at them because, guess what? You were the last straw that broke my back, the old proverbial saying. And guess what? You're the one who's in front of me. Welcome to it. Welcome to my world. How many times have we done that to our spouses, that they've really done nothing wrong, they just said that one little thing, and it gave us the excuse to flip the switch, and now all of a sudden our partners become our enemies. It is so easy to say in theory, but so hard to truly pull off. More times I would challenge us that we show more grace to a perfect stranger than we do to our own families. I don't want fake people. I don't want to raise up fake Christians. I want you to smile at somebody when they walk through this door and give them a hug because that's truly your heart. Not because I'm going to smile and hug because i got to put on this thing for you and the minute I get in the car, we're back to fighting. You're, you're picking the wrong teams. You're picking the wrong enemies. You're singling people out when they shouldn't be. The enemy is one and only. It's the devil. That is our enemy. It is no other way. I don't care what minions he uses. I don't care what people he uses. The devil is the enemy. He's the puppeteer going on behind the scenes of everything that's wrong in this world. Your family is not your enemy. Your coworkers are not your enemy. Your in-laws care how bad they are. <laughs> not mine, though. Mine are awesome. Are they, are they watching? Are they watching? Love you. So, no, I'm just teasing. But all those people are not your enemy. Could they be used indirectly by the, by the devil, by the enemy? Of course. Does the devil know our buttons? Of course. Because most of us honestly have the same kind of button. We have little things that frustrate us, and we're pretty open about it. And most of us show that to other people, so people learn how to push our buttons, and they know how to do it. And then now, all of a sudden, all those around you become your enemies. 
The toughest thing to remember is we are not called to fight the devil. Do not put yourself on that level. This is a spiritual battle you are not prepared to undertake. This is a spiritual battle that has been won by God, yet he uses us in the fight. So do not avail yourself higher than you should be because you're going to put a lot more stress than you need to. The fight is not yours. You are in the battle. You're feeling the repercussions of it. It's going on around you, but it's not your fight. We are called to flee from the devil. We are called that we are strengthened through the name of God. The word says, greater is he who is in me than is he who is in the world. It does not say, greater is rich now because he's got God in him than he's in the world. No, 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 no. I'm still not there. Greater is he who is in me. It is all about God. And we remember that we do not put ourselves in a place where we should not be. We are not taking on the enemy directly we should not be taking. I'm sorry. I have no problem stepping back and going, God, you got this one, right? I'm, I'm, I'm right behind you. I got you. But guess what? I'm going to give him that battle. In fact, we read in Deuteronomy 20, verse 4, For the Lord God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. He doesn't say, I'm going to go with you. Like, you know, your backup friends when you go to the flagpole fight at 3 o'clock. I'm gonna, I got your back, bro. No, that's not what God says. God says, I'm going with you to fight your enemies for you. The victory is his. One, do not take that away from him because, honestly, it's disrespectful to God and what he's done. It is his victory. And we just sit back and go, we won. Well, yeah, you know, well, God actually won. We just get to sit back and enjoy the repercussions now. So don't put that on yourselves. It is not your fight. You are not prepared to fight the devil head on. Let God do it and be behind him 100% in what you're supposed to do. Because guess what? Anytime there's a battle, there's always what? Casualties. I truly feel our job is like the people that go out and pick up the casualties of the wounded when the devil mows through this world. God comes along and helps save them. Now we become that hospital that's going to re- get them healed up and ready to go. You know, in John 16:33, it reads, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. It is all his Just like this battle has been going on since Adam and Eve stepped foot on this earth, so the battle has already been won by God. Not ours, not you and me. Just sit back, be prepared. We do have to be ready. We have to be armed up. We have to to be obvious and understand who our enemy is. Don't fool yourselves. I know sometimes it sounds a little weird, this whole spiritual battle thing. I'm sorry. I can tell you my job, I've seen some weird stuff I can't explain out on the streets. I've seen people do stuff and throw people around much bigger than them. Drug tests come back, and there ain't one bit of drugs in their body. They were saying stuff. I've had people rolling on the floor, saliva spit coming out of their mouth, scratching people, fighting with people. Not one drug in their body. There is a spiritual warfare, whether you want to accept it or not. That is up to you. You see, whether or not you accept it does not stop the battle from going on. The enemy's coming, the enemy's fighting, and the devil says, even better if you don't want to believe this stuff. Even better if you don't want to realize this spiritual battle, because guess what? You're out of the game now, because you're not even going to be prepared. We need to be armed up and ready to go. So then when we realize who the enemy is, and we realize more and more every time we read this, holy cow, this is not my fight. This battle's been won by God. But guess what? I still need to protect myself and those around me. Arm ourselves with the word. 
And along those same lines, talking about, you know, battles and all, the second point I want to bring up is we have to have each other's backs. You know, that, that's another term that kind of comes around from wartime and battle time is having each other's back. If you're engaged in a fight or you're engaged with an enemy, where's your focus? It's on the enemy. And you typically want to keep the enemy in front of you. Well, where's my exposed part? What's my weakest point now? My back. My whole back's exposed. So guess what? I need my partners, I need my people around me to watch my back. Because if somebody's engaged in a battle, who's watching out behind me? And we need to realize that, and we need to come to that understanding that we're in this kind of battle. When somebody's going through something, we need to have their back. We need to be watching out for them. You know, you know what I love is I was telling my, my wife, I said, you know, as I'm reading through these scriptures, and read it before, and I know most of us have heard this story, and we know, come on, it was all Eve's fault. We really do. I mean, I hate to break it to you. It was all, we know it was all her fault. But that's the concept we have, and that's the thought process we have. Just blame Eve. Even Adam did it. Holy cow, he didn't give a time frame. I'm curious how long they were married before he handed her up and threw her under the bus already. Was the honeymoon phase over? I don't know. It doesn't say. Well, you want to talk about needing marital counseling from the get-go. Wow. He threw her under the bus in a heartbeat. It makes me kind of wonder, why didn't he have her back in all this? Where was he? Because when we read it, you know, I would read it sometimes. I would think, man, that must have been bad. She must have taken that fruit snuck it back somehow. Maybe she chopped it up, baked it into a nice little pie, and served it to him or something, and he had no clue. But yet it says real quickly there, it says, and my husband who was with me, and he ate. Oh, wait, so you were with her the whole time? So what were you doing, dude? Were you sitting back just watching? So my question then is, who's really at fault there? Who's the bigger one to blame? So you have to think a little bit deeper. Let's say in the, the, the structure of the household and the way God sets it up, what if the serpent had gone after the man directly? Well, if the man is the head of the house, as it later on becomes set up by God, well, then if he made that decision, guess whose shoulders it falls on? The man. But by going after his wife, by going after the one that he was called from, she was taken out of him, of one body, yet the serpent goes after her because now that causes dissension within their relationship. It took him no time whatsoever. The second he was questioned by God, I am so sorry, God. I let you down and I let Eve down. No, 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 no. The woman you gave me, she fed it to me. I did nothing. She's the one you made. Blame her. Guess what, God? It's actually your fault. And we blame God. So in all of this, he didn't blame the one person at fault. He blamed the two people that really were not at fault, definitely not the one who created him. But now that causes a wedge in the beginning between the marriage, between the husband and the wife. They are already fighting in the Garden of Eden the minute that trouble comes along. The minute paradise has been destroyed, now all of a sudden, wow, I'm going to go against her. And the serpent did that. It wasn't by accident. He could have easily gone after the man and just said, hey, I'm going to let the man mess it up. No, no, no. He went after his wife, the one who came from him, and then caused a wedge from the two becoming one right from the get-go. And that's the kind of stuff we are fighting. So where was Adam in there? Why, I ask, why didn't he get her back? I would like to think that if we see somebody we love, somebody we care about, going through a hard time and trouble, don't just say, I'm praying for you. If you see them going through a hard time, pull them aside. 
get their back. Talk to them. If somebody comes up and says, man, I'm going through this, well, I'm praying for you. And then do we actually pray? Half the time we just worry about it and go, oh, my gosh, what a tough thing they're going through. I really hope they make it. Okay, I'm going to go to lunch now. And then we walk off. I mean, it's, it's honest, you know. Half the time we just really worry about it. We don't really pray about it and give it to God and truly get on our knees. And do we have each other's backs? What if Adam right there, imagine how different the world would have looked if Adam would have said, babe, what are you doing? God gave us one rule, and we broke it. I mean, seriously, that's all he told them. Just don't eat from that tree. Run around, talk to the animals, name them, do whatever you want, eat, but don't touch that tree. And we messed up the one rule. What if Adam would have had Eve's back? How different would the world look now? Mainly because they didn't know that they were naked, so none of us would be wearing clothes right now, so it would be very different. It would be a very different view. Yeah, some of you just got that for a second. Let's go. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are going to use that one every time now. Watch. So, I know. It's going to be that kind of day. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we read, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with temptation, you will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Right there we read that God always gives us a way of escape. What I would ask you is be a little more diligent and aware. What if you're that person's escape? What if something as simple as you pulling that person aside and saying, oh, hey, bro, what are you doing? Hey, sister, what are you thinking about? Hey, why are you going to lunch with that person who's not your husband or wife? Why are you going to that certain club or place you know you should not go? What if you were engaging in certain acts you should not be? Sometimes something as simple as pointing it out to somebody and having their back, maybe you are their way out. God doesn't say, take on every temptation until it breaks you. He says, no, I will give you a way out, but not beyond what you can bear. So don't sit back and say, whew, man, they're going through a lot. I think they're going to break in another week. I give them a week or two. What if you could stop that cycle right there? What if you have their back? Don't be afraid to be the escape for somebody and get them out of their situation. It's not that difficult many a times. Just be there for people, have each other's backs. You know, in fact, in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, I love these verses. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your enemy, the devil, is roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Rest him, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. It says resist the devil. It didn't say go head on in a fight that you're not ready for. It just says resist him. I'm telling you, one of the easiest ways to resist the devil is to be read up in the Word of God, and one of the biggest things that I see people walk into sin, because it happened to me, my pride made me walk into sin. Instead of just getting up and walking away many a times when that little voice inside your head's going, now's probably a good time to leave because this conversation's going somewhere it shouldn't. Maybe now's a good time to leave because this party is going to end up where you should not be. But my pride, well, I'm stronger than that. I'm ready for this. I can take this on. Why? Why would I possibly do that? I'm not called to put myself foolishly in the harm's way of the devil. I'm just called to resist him and be sober, be vigilant, so that when your eyes are wide open and you see that situation going south, get out. I'm sorry. Most of the stuff that we end up sinning in, it's because our pride did not tell us to just walk away. 
Our pride did not tell us to stop those text messages. Our pride did not tell us to hang up that phone. Our pride did not tell us to not go out and meet for certain things. That's what got me in trouble. You know, I'm going back a few years, but that extra beeper in the car, that second cell phone that you don't really need for work, those are the type of things that the enemy will use to eat away at us and get us. And if we don't have each other's backs, if we're not looking out for one another, we will end up losing. God will continue the battle that he's already won. We'll be on the sidelines out of commission. And I don't think any of us want that. So, you know, besides having each other's backs, besides keeping the focus on the enemy, the third thing I want to look at today, that blood is thicker than water. Blood is thicker than water. Now, this is another one of those interesting terms that we've come to use it in our culture as, well, blood is thicker than water. Okay, so my family, the one I was born into, were blood-related, so therefore it's thicker than anything else out there in the world. Actually, to be honest, it's backwards. It was used a lot of times. We've seen it used like in mafia movies, you know, or things like that. Well, hey, bro, blood's thicker than water. We're bonded by the blood of the blood we've shed in fights. Or on the battlefields, if you've been out there risking your life arm in arm with people and blood's been shed on the field and you've walked away from it, that bond that you have between those people can be stronger than anything else. But one step even further for us, we have all been bonded under the same blood, and that's the blood of Christ. You see, when we look at that, some of the meanings are blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. So therefore, yes, just like Jesus told us, if need, if need be to abandon mother, father, brother, sister for my sake, then do it. Because even though the water of the womb of the person who brought you into this world, yes, that's strong. It's not nearly as strong as the covenant of the blood of Christ that we have in of us. You know, I said earlier, whatever your definition of family is, I don't want anybody out there thinking that, well, you know, we're, I'm, a single fam, I'm a single parent household, so it's not the same. Or I'm adopted, so it's not the same. I'm not looking for a textbook definition of family. Family are those around you who you are commonly bonded with, who you are strengthened by, who you do life with. You know, I, I shared earlier that I get along. I love my family to death. Don't think it's because of that. I love my mother, my father, my brothers. But they live a few hours away. We have very busy schedules. I just don't get to see them that often. I spend way more time with you people than I do with my blood family, the one I was born into. It does not mean I do not love them any less. It does not mean that we're not there for each other whenever we have it. It means that I am bonded to you guys as family. You see, the funny thing is, as much as I love them, the work that we do on this earth is with this family right here. You may have brothers, sisters, mother, fathers at home that, yeah, maybe they know about God, but if they're not fully committed and sold out to Christ, they're not doing this mission. They are not on the battlefield where the blood is shed, like in a war where we're going to be fighting for one another and being there for one another. You don't understand. I don't care if you don't have the same last name as somebody. You can be there for somebody. You can have their back. You can remind them who the enemy is. You can remind them of the fight. We too commonly in our culture want to keep everything so separated. You know, people always laugh at me. You know, you are the most un-gringo gringo I know. You're loud. You're in people's faces. You're okay with the hugging and the kissing. And you talk about whatever. I get that. I don't know what happened at birth. I was dropped, I guess. But why? I honestly believe 
that we are family. Now, side note, don't show up at my house at 2 o'clock in the morning knocking on my door unless you really need it. So, squirrel, I caught myself. But I truly want to leave on that note. I truly want us to take that in and absorb it. That the blood of Christ, which we are bonded by, the blood that is shed on a battlefield, because once again, I pray that most of us realize we are in a spiritual battle, we're in spiritual warfare. I pray that you take this word, which is the best weapon you got. It's at your disposal. Put it on your phone for free. I don't care. When I was a cop, you better believe, the worst thing I could have done was walk out of the house with my, without my gun. I'm not going to do much good if I have to confront somebody. Why would you possibly walk out of your house with the best weapon you got? I don't care. You version's free. Download it. Get whatever you got. We need to be prepared at any moment for the battle. Now, I hope you go out of here intense. Please don't walk down the street, go get lunch, and kick somebody in the chest because you're all excited. If that happens, it's not my fault. Don't blame me. But I want you to go out with that mentality. I want you to go out with the mentality that we are at war, but we are not alone. It is not your battle. Don't take it on. Look around you. If you don't like the people next to you, too bad. We're going to be in heaven together. So get to know them. They are all family, and we need to be there for one another. So I encourage us, let's do that, let's look to that. But more so, the one thing now is, maybe there's some of you that don't have that. Maybe there's some of you that have been struggling for years doing this on your own. Maybe you've even been coming to church for a long time and you've never said, I don't want to have to win this battle. I want to be in it with God, but I want that God who has already won the battle for me. I want that Savior who has shed his blood for me. I want that Savior who gave his life willingly, as Pastor JP said, it was a choice that he gave it to us. And all he wants you to do is accept it. So if we'll all close our eyes and bow our heads for a moment. If you don't know that relationship, if you have never received Christ into your heart, if you have never asked God to be your father, not just your creator, then I give you that opportunity. Do not take another day, do not take another moment where you're gonna walk out that door and you don't know what your future beholds. You can be part of this family, part of a global family, part of a kingdom-minded family. All you have to do is receive him. So if that's you, on the count of three, I just want you to raise your hands. One, two, three. Just raise your hand. Amen. 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 I see you guys. Just raise your hand. It's not for me. It's for you and God. Just to receive them into your heart. Just to receive them. Amen. Amen. I see you there. I see you there. Amen, guys. Amen. All I'm going to do now is I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer. This is a confession prayer, salvation prayer. It's not to me or anybody else here. I'm going to ask the whole church to join in. You're not doing it alone. But it's just opening up your heart and confessing to receive Christ. So if you'll repeat after me, say, Dear God, Dear God thank, you thank you for today. For today. Thank, you thank you for salvation. For salvation. Jesus, Jesus, thank you, thank you for, dying for, me. for dying for me. Thank you, thank you for, being my savior. for being my Savior. I want to receive you into my heart, I want to receive you into my heart. and I want to walk with you Every day of my life. Be with me and walk with me. And it's in your precious name we pray. And all God's people say amen and amen. Give it up for those people, guys. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel or visit us at calvaryconnect.com for more information. Till next time.